winning eight out of nine Brooklyn Nets. Let's talk a little bit about it. Mike Biseglia, Evan Roberts, have uh, all of your views changed now? Are you back on the we can win a championship bandwagon because of the recent hot streak? Yes. (laughs) Really? I'm definitely playing the game in my head. I mean, it's hard not to, man. Like, I'll be honest. And I know people say you don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low. But sometimes it's difficult to not do that. I don't No, I don't expect them to win a title. It's been so refreshing to win games. It feels really good. But yeah, I mean, part of your mind starts to imagine how how could it not when you don't lose? You know what they're doing? They're doing the thing we never got to experience uh, over these last few years. They're organically getting better as a basketball team. True. Because, yeah, there'll be days where no one plays like the game against Indiana. And that was an inspirational win. And there'll be days where, oh, Ben Simmons is missing time with a knee issue. And Royce O'Neal has a personal issue. And there are guys who are going to miss games. That's only natural. But the core of this team is playing together. And so what we're witnessing, and they are far from a finished product. To me, they are far from that championship contender. But they're striving in a direction. They're getting better defensively. Their ball movement has gotten a lot better. They're just becoming a better basketball team because these guys are actually playing together. And that's the thing that was so frustrating that we screamed and yelled about over the last couple of years. And I think that's the fun part about this team. We're watching them come together and develop. Yeah, And if you remember last season, you know, it was around this time when the Nets were in first place, had the best record in the East, I believe, or right there. And then the Kevin Durant injuries happened and they just, you know, fell apart and whatnot. But like the Nets started well last year when they won the games they were supposed to and whatever their record was, 20 and 6, 20 and 7. And they were just grooving. And then, of course, all hell broke loose. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And this year it feels it feels good to be the team that was a bad start, mediocre, you know, 9 and 11, and now getting red hot and playing really good basketball. And yeah, you're seeing it develop. You know, guys are going out. Utah Watanabe's hurt. You know, Royce O'Neal is out a couple of games. Then Ben Simmons comes in and out. And it's just been a lot of different guys stepping up at different times. And I have to say, like, I think a lot of credit needs to go to Jacques Vaughn beyond just giving this team confidence and a fresh start and a voice. You know, the way he has treated the roster and has done a nice job with moving parts in and out, not knowing who will go in when, unless your name is Kevin Durant. I have to say, like, A-plus for the job that Jacques Vaughn has done since stepping in for Nash. Oh, no doubt. I mean, no question. And and I feel like, you know, when the Nets were the dumpster fire that they were a few weeks ago and Steve Nash got fired, there was this easy answer of Steve Nash is a scapegoat. You know, we heard Charles Barkley say it on TNT. We heard a lot of New York radio hosts say it. Ah, Steve Nash, not his fault. But if you watch this team over the last couple of years, not that everything was Steve Nash's fault, but we clearly saw he was not the right coach for this team. You know, we saw that he was a right. flawed head coach. And right from the get-go with tiny little things that we still see to this day, I'll give you a great example. Jacques Vaughn will take quick timeouts when he's disgusted. Now, that doesn't make you a great head coach. That doesn't make you, you know, an elite head coach. But it's a small little thing that changed from the Nash regime. Jacques Vaughn is pissed about something. He calls a timeout. He doesn't wait and basically let the team play like crap for six minutes before finally a timeout is called. But when the Nets were the dumpster fire and everyone was making fun of them, it was easy to say, oh, it's not Steve Nash's fault. But if you watch the team, you knew he was a part of it. 
And here we are weeks later, and the Nets are clearly playing better. They still have their issues, which we'll discuss. And I don't hear a damn person saying, oh, yeah, yeah maybe we were wrong about that. You know, maybe Steve Nash was a problem. Maybe the Nets made the right decision by saying early in a basketball season, let's change the head coach, which they did after Halloween, you know, very early into a season. But maybe those people should stand up and say, hey, we were clueless. We didn't really know what we were talking about. And Steve Nash was a part of the problem. He definitely was a part of the problem. And I I, I wouldn't go as far as myself saying he was a scapegoat. I didn't say anything like that, but I, I did think he was getting a bad rap for all of their problems. But I think what's clear is that there was such a lack of disrespect for him from the top where it matters the most. And that, that obviously trickled down to the rest of the roster that he had to go because no one was responding to anything that he was saying. And there had to be a change. And I was, you know, pleasantly happy when that happened, just couldn't believe just the deep, the job that Jacques Vaughn has done and the respect that he has earned in particular from Kevin Durant. And he had an interesting quote when he, at one of the games after win saying, you know, like my relationship's gotten stronger with coach Vaughn and you can see that they have a little bit of a chemistry. There was one game during this winning streak where Durant took a mid range jumper late in the fourth quarter with too much time. And as opposed to taking time off the clock and him and Vaughn kind of eyed and laughed and clapped together. And you could just see the little nuances there of chemistry that's building with this team. And it's, it's been so much fun to see, and it's been it's been so refreshing. And for as much bad basketball as we, you know, us as Nets fans have had to experience on and particularly off the court, it's just like I don't care if somebody says, "Yeah, well, they're beating bad teams." I'm like, it's hey, thank God, hey, dude, <laughs> you dude, know hey. they they couldn't do that in the past. Yeah, like when you play bad teams, you have to beat them. There's no other option. Like I get it. You want to see them beat Boston, and when they lost to Boston a week and a half ago, it was disappointing, and it was a reminder of how far they still need to come. But you can't bitch about beating the teams on your schedule because you only have two options. One is to win, and the other is for us to be even more pissed that they couldn't beat bad teams. So you never throw that back. You never, ever throw that back. You always have to just accept it. You know, it's, it's on the schedule. But, you know, you mentioned the relationship between Durant and Jacques. How about the fact that it seems like whatever he's doing with Kyrie Irving is working? Because yeah. early on, we saw those clips of Kyrie basically shaking off plays from Jacques and then Jacques Vaughn angrily calling timeouts, saying, I'm not going to put up with this crap. But you're mm-hmm. also seeing more of an effort from Kyrie. There was the clip from the Wizards game, and we all saw it live when Kyrie Irving is diving into the stands and that may not seem like a big deal, but it kind of is a big deal. So you've got Kyrie Irving buying enough to where he's given a crap and he's given you maximum effort. So more so than the bond between Vaughn and Durant, which is cool and important, you have to get the most out of Kyrie Irving. Cause if you want to win anything, and we talked about this last time with Kyrie and the whole dilemma with him, the best version of this team is if somehow you have Kyrie Irving buying in. That's when you have the most talent on the floor. And it seems like Vaughn's able to do that. And I think that one clip where we saw him call out Kyrie Irving, Kyrie was upset, sat at the edge of the bench, wasn't engaged. You know, like to me, that's the ultimate moment of earning respect, right? Like, yeah, maybe Kyrie's pissed. Maybe he doesn't like Jacques Vaughn then. 
but he earned, but there was respect earned. You know, Steve right. Nash, call him off, call him off. It's like, oh yeah, Nash is cool, but I don't respect this guy. Like Vaughn earned it there. And I don't know the other small details that have gone on within the team and other moments that it might have happened, but that was the most clear and obvious one. I think the fans watching and seeing that to me, I was like, I loved it. I was so happy when I saw it hold some accountability. And when the clip went viral a couple of years ago where Kyrie Irving was like, we don't need a coach. I laughed it off and I was like, yeah, whatever. But the truth of the matter is just like we talked about the Nets trying to take the regular season seriously is they need a leader in the locker room that can hold them accountable. And that was maybe the first example I have seen in forever where that actually happened. And you're right. You see Kyrie Irving diving in the stands, going for loose balls, um, getting to the basket and giving maximum effort in games. And yeah, it's maybe pathetic to say when somebody's paid $35 million and you just expect it at all times, but that's not what we've gotten in the past. It's showing up and yeah, it's turning into W's because when Kyrie and Durant, this is the best stretch. I will say they have looked together as teammates in the Nets history. This, this homestand, is the best they've ever looked together. And to me, it's like not even a close second somewhere else. Well, when have they played together for a consistent sure. period of time? I mean, that's that's the other thing. You know, when they made decision the decision to bring Kyrie Irving back and he comes back, you know, we haven't had to this point, I knock on wood, any kind of interruption. You know, Kevin Durant has remained healthy. Kyrie Irving has remained healthy. And outside of the maintenance day, they decided to have as a group against Indiana over the weekend, they've gone out and played. That's been the thing, you know, the other thing that's that's different, even though he hasn't really played a lot over the last couple of weeks is Ben Simmons, because when Ben plays and he returned against Atlanta, he played 20 minutes. But when he was on the floor, he looked like the old Ben Simmons. He played 22 minutes the other night against Washington when he was on the floor. He looked like Ben Simmons. And right before he started to miss time, the game against Orlando, a game you and I were at together, and all of a sudden after the first half, you know, we don't see him again. I think it was in the second quarter. We don't see Mm -hmm. him again. He was starting to look like his old self. And I don't think that has anything to do with coaching. I think it just has to do with the fact that Ben Simmons was A, getting his confidence back, and just B, being healthier and having just more kind of bounce to his step. And it it seemed the start, if I had to pick a game where it all seemed to change, was maybe on that West Coast trip. Maybe it was the game against mm-hmm. Sacramento when he actually came back from not playing in the Laker game. Like, since that point, you could even look at the stat lines. They back it up. It's, it's the old Ben Simmons. Now, the key's going to be, can he stay on the floor? Because ever since he started missing time with the knee issue, he hasn't played a lot, and his minutes are way down. But we have seen at least glimpses of the old Ben Simmons, and that is really encouraging. Yeah, I think for me, if I'm trying to remember correctly, uh, at the tail end of that West Coast trip, and then in particular coming home versus the the, at Blazers, home Grizzlies, Sixers, that game was a disaster, but he started to look good. And then all of a sudden, he started to take off and was playing really well. And that's the part that scares me, though, is that this is just – I don't think Ben Simmons is, I think it's just going to be a thing where he's going to miss a chunk of time. It's going to happen from the back surgery to every other piece that's component into all these other injuries. I just fear for him now seeing this kind of as we're a third through the year that Ben Simmons is just going to have small problems that pop up all the time. And for him, it's clearly about consistency and playing because that's where his confidence grows. And 
man, it's so fascinating watching him play, pushing the pace, getting to the paint, seeing how he really does help. He's giving Kevin Durant a lot of open shots. Yeah. KD cutting to the basket, yeah. getting, I mean, you see it like these cutbacks that KD has are phenomenal. So I just, I worry with Ben that it's just going to be one of these things where it's play three games, miss one, play two games, miss three, play four. Like, I just, I just feel like it's going to be like two steps forward, one step back all season long. Well, this is such a Monday morning quarterbacking thing to say, and I admit that. But you look back at the minutes he was playing right from the get-go. Sure, heavy. Heavy, heavy minutes. Even, you know, not that long ago when they were at the tail end of the West Coast trip, and then even when Kyrie comes back and they're playing the game in Philadelphia and they're playing the game against the Raptors, he was playing 34 minutes a night at the pace that he plays. And so since he's come back, you know, and it's it's sparingly because he played the Atlanta game, sat the Indiana game, played the Washington game. He's played 20 minutes. So they've obviously kept him on a minutes restriction. And I'm not sure that that's something that's going to last. I don't think necessarily he's going to be on a strict 20 to 22 minute minute restriction, but they clearly have to be more careful. They 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 have to they've got to treat him differently because he did miss a year and a half of time. It's just the reality of it. And you know, I, I just think they've got to be more conservative with it. And it surprises me for a team like the Nets, who have been pretty conservative with injuries and rehab. And, you know, what's that stupid phrase they use that drove us nuts? Ramping up, ramping up. <laughs> yeah. Now, ramping the, up. the organization of ramping up seemed to not give a rat's ass about Ben Simmons right out of the gate. And he was playing 33 minutes a night. Doesn't seem to make sense. Well, I mean, Kevin Durant leads the league in minutes. So, they are playing guys heavy, but I think and I've knock on wood, this helps minutes go down for everybody involved. I think Friday is going to be the first time they've got everybody. And I can't remember it in the last three or four years that I said, the nets are going into a game with their entire roster ready. I mean, that is, you know, now we got to figure out Utah Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren, who was really good in their last game. He's been win. great. He really has. It's just he, he the, the Nets have lacked the guy that can make shots when Kevin Durant's not there or alongside him. He's been so nice to be like it, this one play in particular that was like, and I, I think Ian was calling the game. Maybe or maybe it was Ruko. I can't remember now. But TJ Warren got in the paint or got an offensive rebound, and there was two shooters outside, and he could have passed it for a three. But instead, he took the eight-footer and made it. And I was like, yes, (laughs) got the rebound, took the shot, got your points and scored, didn't force a three or kick it out even though it was wide open. He's been such a pleasure to have on the court as he ramps up. And just to give the Nets another scorer, another guy that can hit shots, um, so far so good, I would say, for Sean Marks. Now, clearly, this team needs some some rebounding. I think that's an obvious hole of theirs right now as they get you know, pummeled on the board, although lately they've been a lot better, uh, in particular that Indiana game, amazingly. But, yeah, I, I would say so far with Sean Marks and, t- like, T.J. Warren and all these moves, I mean, the Nets definitely are deep. And he defends, too. Let's not leave that out about T.J. Warren. I mean, he's actually a pretty good defender, which is nice to see. I thought after the Indiana game that Dayron Sharp, who was so good, he had nine offensive rebounds, was a beast on the glass. I wonder, does that help him kind of get back in the rotation? 
And the mm-hmm. answer to that was no, because he couldn't get off the bench in the Washington game. You know, and he and Vaughn played 10 guys. So it's not as if he was being conservative about it. He even gave Cam Thomas, you know, 20 minutes of burn. So I thought maybe Dayron could turn the the game in Indiana into an opportunity. I think that, yeah, they need another big. They need more rebounding help. Um, but they, it's a lot of it is effort. I mean, a lot of it is just boxing out, making the effort and being a gang rebounding kind of team. And they're never going to be an elite level rebounding team. I don't think they have to. I don't think they necessarily have to turn into that. But I do think, especially a lot early in the season when they get beat on second chance opportunities, a lot of it was effort. You know, it's not necessarily just, hey, you've got to improve the personnel. We know what this team needs to add. It'll be interesting to see how Sean Marks tries to do it, assuming the trajectory of this team continues. But a lot of their rebounding issues is just about effort and knowing you need to gang rebound on this team. Yeah, I hear that, but they definitely need somebody yes. there. And they, they, they definitely need some form of it, but it it is true to a certain extent. And it, it, it is frustrating when you see these teams and, the, you know, these stats where the Nets are worse than rebounding. And it's like these offensive rebounds. I mean, it, it's truly painful, like in a sports sense, when you play such good defense and you're like, oh, there's a bad shot. And then, they, you know, somebody goes up, it, it, it doesn't fall and they get the offensive rebound and then, they put it in for two, and you're like, man, you invested all that freaking defense, and they got two points. I mean, it it is so frustrating. Well, it's also frustrating when you have to outshoot your opponent by a lot to beat them. You know, and we we had that problem a couple of years ago, but your opponent, you know, mix of turnovers too, having something to do with it. And I love Kevin Durant, but at times he could be a turnover machine. You know, yeah, yeah. you don't want to give your opponent 15 more field goal opportunities. It's just simple math. You don't want to put yourself in a situation in which, you know, you've got it. Cause I think the nets to this point this season, and it's remained this way, hold their opponents to one of the lowest field goal percentages in the NBA. And you know, their defense is sort of evened out. I think they're 10th now in defensive rating. So they've turned into a solid defensive team, but that number, the, the opponent field goal percentage didn't match up for a while with the performance because they were still giving up a ton of points because even though they were holding their opponents to a low field goal percentage, they were giving them 150 opportunities. They were also sending teams to the line a lot. That was the other thing. Mm -hmm. Like they were allowing their opponents to get to the line way too often. And it's still a bad number. Like if you look at how many times the nets get to the line versus how many times their opponents get to the line, it's a bad stat. You know, they're, they're still allowing their opponents to get to the line three or four more times per game. So when you take that and you combine it with the turnovers and then combine that with giving teams second chance opportunities on the offensive glass, just do the math. It's a mathematics equation. You're going to have a tough time outscoring your opponents when you're giving them more free throws and more field goal opportunities. And what's wild, too, is you talk, talk about all these numbers at the Nets then leading the league in block shots. So it's like, how often do you find a team that leads the league in block shots is allowing the, you know, the best defensive field goal percentage rating. You go, okay, this team has to be an elite defensive team. And, you know, from all the things you mentioned, they're not, but just that they've settled into like a decent NBA defensive basketball team, you know, like credit to Joe Harris getting in the passing lanes, Edmund Sumner creating chaos. They're at least, you know, it's like, it's been so refreshing to see this team play 
defense, make opportunities. Maybe they're not perfect. Maybe they make a ton of mistakes, but at least it's not just like, you know, I guess the Indiana game, but that's, you know, very different based on who was playing, but actual, like, you know, they beat the wizards one twelve to 100. They hold teams to one Oh four 96. They're, they're quietly playing better defense and it's, clearly obvious that that's that's happening and you just you know it's just like can the consistency of this happen is this something they can keep up for the rest of the season is this something that Jacques Vaughn's instituted will they be able to play this kind of elite defense moving forward you know to me I think really is this team is a question if they can win a championship it's if the defense can continue to get better do they do they rebound as a unit and what does Ben become uh because you know, now you're seeing Durant's at playing at an MVP level. Kyrie's giving effort and is looking great. Like, if those other questions are answered, I think this team has, you know, they have a shot. Like, they're, 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 and it's also cool. It's like, yeah, we're there. They're only, you know, 17 and 12 or whatever. So there's still 53 games left where they can continue to build well, and get better. And you talked about like the Celtics last year were average and then got great. Like, that that does give hope. I mean, it does. That that's why you know, right now, middle December, they're playing a lot better. They still have to prove themselves against elite teams, and by elite teams, I really mean the Celtics on the box. Because you know, I know they're going to play the Warriors next week. They haven't been playing great, by the way, this year, and they're banged up. Seth uh, Steph Curry just got hurt, so I'm not even talking about Golden State because to me, they're also irrelevant. They play in the Western Conference, you know. I'll worry about them in the NBA finals if we're fortunate enough to get there. So really to me, it's proving yourself against Boston, against Milwaukee. I think for now I throw Cleveland in there. Sure. Why not? They're off to a decent start, but really it's Boston and Milwaukee. I can't. And and I think I have the last couple of years where it's always been just championship, championship, championship. Can they win a championship? It's all about a championship. I think a part of this season is I'm not even thinking about it because it's irrelevant right now. It's the middle of December. It just doesn't, you know, how they're playing right now, are they a championship team? No. Are they moving in the right direction? Yeah. I can't rule out that by April, you and I are going to be thinking, oh, my God, they can do it. They got a lot to prove. Yeah. So it's not even about making grandiose predictions or this is how I feel about the team. It's I just want to see them continue to move in the right direction. And when they get their crack again at Boston, because, look, that game uh, a couple of weeks ago, that was a great opportunity. Even though the Nets weren't fully healthy without Ben Simmons, Boston clearly wasn't fully healthy. They didn't have Marcus Smart in that game. They didn't have Robert Williams in that game. But you saw you saw glimpses of why they're that good. You saw Jalen mm-hmm. Brown not miss shots and play 40 minutes. You saw Jason Tatum, who's become a superstar. And you saw that despite having the great Kevin Durant and despite having Kyrie, who was not great in that game, they couldn't beat him in their own building. They got a long way to go. That's the, the reality. So I'll look forward to their chances against Boston, their chances against Milwaukee to kind of prove to us and the world, hey, this team's legitimate. But I think right now, if you're a Net fan in the middle of December, I don't think you have to think about, is this a championship team? You just have to continue to watch this team get better and better and better and better. And maybe we are sitting here in March and April thinking this is a title team. Are they right now? No, they're, they're not. They got a lot to prove. But I think that we do have hope. We don't have, uh, you know, drama for now, which is great. We're just a boring little basketball team. And what's great is that nobody talks about us. ESPN doesn't talk about us. My radio station doesn't talk about us. Fox doesn't talk about us. Because if they're not talking about the Nets, 
that usually means good things are happening for us. And I think what you had said was, and I, I they amped it up a little bit. I saw a few things today and it was, it was terrible. It was clearly, I'm not watching the games. Let me give points and whatever. But I think what you mentioned before is so important because you talked about like your mindset as a fan. And I think that's where most net fans have come from. And there was a cockiness before, like we got Harden, we got Irving, we got Durant. Let's be healthy. Let's get to the playoffs, whatever. We're not even thinking about the other stuff. It's kind of turned into we're enjoying the winning. We see our progress in real time. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's like we're an afterthought to the other teams, and it feels right. You know, let's just continue to get better. We're we're clearly deeper than we've been. Durant's playing awesome. Let's see what happens. And when April rolls around, it rolls around, and there's a long way to go. But man, it's better than the shit in the past where it was like uh, Durant's this and, you know, Irving vaccination that or, you know, (laughs) the DVD. It's just like what I it's just simple. What I feel great about with Kevin Durant is that so a part of why he demanded a trade was that when he got hurt, you know, he thought the team should have played better. He thought the bar should have been higher. So here's a day in which the Nets are basically punting a game. No Joe Harris, no Kyrie Irving, no Kevin Durant, no Seth Curry, no Ben Simmons. Go through the whole list. No one's playing. And the Nets won. And as the game ends, I'm thinking to myself, ooh, Kevin's happy. This is what Kevin mm-hmm. wanted. But but the truth with Durant is, I think I mentioned to you before the season, it was going to take a while to you know, almost fully trust him again. But watching him this season, in which he's played a crap load of minutes, in which he's missed only one game, and that was the choice, like we just talked about against Indiana, to watch him play at an MVP level, to watch the effort that's there on a nightly basis, I have finally come around to fully forgiving and forgetting about Mm. the Kevin Durant trade rumor, or trade demand, I should say. Not rumor, it was a demand. Because I think I said it at the time, you know, there'll be a moment where I'll say I'm over it. I'm over it now. Because I can't ask for anything more then going out and playing every single night, busting your ass and helping the team win. And that's what he's doing on a nightly basis. That doesn't mean a year from now, he may not demand a trade again. I, like I said about even winning a championship, I can't worry about that. I can only worry about the now and in the now. And I just hope he stays healthy. That's the fear we always have with him. Mm-hmm. But I have fully forgiven him because man, he's everything you want from a basketball player right now. Oh no. Kevin does. I mean, he's incredible. Uh, I think he's shooting 56% from the field or something like that. Like, he's not, he is taking shots and making them at an insane rate. I mean, at this point, I love seeing this, which is such a rarity in my lifetime with Kevin Durant and the Nets. Maybe a little when they had the big three with Harden. Is Durant getting a pass and he's open? I'm like, what is happening? How is nobody guarding him? And there's been so many times where he's been out on the perimeter. They get him the ball for three. And if he's wide open, I mean, it's gotten to the point now, where like when Kevin Durant misses a shot, I'm surprised. It's more <laughs> of like a shot. Like I, He is so efficient as a shooter. I mean, those one-legged runners, oh, those turnaround jumpers on the baseline, the guy does not miss well, baskets. I mean, and then and then he'll miss him, and it's like you know, oh, he was hit in the hand. Yeah. Of course, he missed it. He he's been incredible. Well, what's crazy is he's played twenty eight games so far this season. Um, he's shooting 
overall 60 uh 56 percent from the field total yeah. in this season that's the highest of his career the highest he's ever shot in a season is 54 percent. he's at 56 percent, so he's ahead of the pace with that said and i find this one really strange he's also only shooting i say only 35 percent from three which is the second lowest percentage of his career the mm-hmm. only year where it was lower was his rookie season in which he shot 28% from three. So he's shooting effectively his worst three-point shooting percentage of his career while simultaneously shooting the best overall field goal percentage of his career. And it's mainly because of what you said. He is just so automatic with these mid-range jump shots. He is just he's, – he's, he makes them all. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. – he's unbelievable. He's a, he's a freaking machine. So he's been able to offset the fact – that he's only shooting 35% from three because he just doesn't miss those mid-range jump shots. Not it's getting to the basket too. He had that big dunk versus Washington to seal the deal and get the win and really clinch it, getting to the basket. I mean, he has been, especially, the, you know, the one negative I would say is those cross-court turnovers yeah. where he'll be doubled and he looks across the court and for whatever reason, they're intercepted or on a crossover dribble, the top of the key, he'll get picked off there, but, other than that, it's been pure perfection, and his defense as well has been fantastic. He stays in front of like his. Def- he's a great defender. Guys try to get around him. He he is there. He's blocking shots on the weak side. I mean, he is he is definitely putting together an MVP type season, and it's it's been spectacular. It's been spectacular to watch. It's been fun during this you know win streak and. You know, I don't want to overlook Tor- Toronto, and I got to get that win on Friday against the Raptors team that's struggling. And then it's like, let the fun begin because I, I cannot wait to see how I, I am craving that. Like, I am salivating December 23rd. I'm off from work, big vacation coming up, and I can watch Net Bucks and be like, okay, that's the test. Where, where are we? That's the I, test. I mean, I I don't have to explain it to the audience, but our history with Milwaukee, and I just I have to see that I I have to see the I have to see them play the Bucks and what it looks like. I have to. No, I, I right now, you know, and you just want to keep racking up as many wins as you can. Toronto, like you mentioned, their issues. Detroit, Kate Cunningham's out for the season. It may be even be a wounded warrior team by the time they get here. And all the other games on the schedule: Charlotte, Atlanta, San Antonio. Rack up as many wins as you can. Try to climb these standings as far as you can go. But the litmus test is Milwaukee and Boston. Those are the two teams. Those are the two teams who right now feel, you know, like the clear two best teams in the Eastern Conference. And so when you face them, that's our test to kind of say, okay, how far has this team gone? And I agree with you. I look very much forward to that test to see where this team's at. But right now, it's about continuing to grow and just staying healthy. You know, that, that's the, the thing you always worry about is that injury bug can stop you at any moment. But the season's turn. And, you know, it really started, yes, with Jacques Vaughn taking over. But when they lost those back-to-back games on the West Coast to L.A. and to Sacramento, and they gave up 100 million points to the Sacramento Kings that night, you know, we were worried. And they answer with back-to-back wins. Kyrie Irving comes back. They lose in Philadelphia on Ben Simmons' return, and the Sixers are playing nobody. We're worried. A couple of nights later, they blow a game to Indiana. They get absolutely ravaged in the fourth quarter, and we're worried. That's when it turned. 
It's almost like that Pacer game, you know, helped out by having a long homestand. And that's just perfect timing. You know, be able to come home and have a bunch of games against beat up teams. So luck's involved. But that does seem to be the turnaround right now where this team's been able to rattle off the eight out of nine. But they got to keep it up. They've been given some luck when it comes to the injuries of some of their opponents. Okay, you just got to keep beating them. And they were due for some luck. I mean, how much bad luck can a franchise have over the last couple of years? Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong on and off the court. And it's always been like, oh, looks like the Nets are playing the 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 Grizzlies. Oh, everybody's coming back tonight. <laughs> and it's like, you know, not that you're you're rooting for injuries. You're not. But, but when you're, you know, we're in the business of trying to get wins. And if the best players are out, the best players are out. You know, like, you know, what's... Finally, it wasn't like coming back tonight. It was like, oh, the so-and-so is out. The Hawks are missing so-and-so. It was like, well, yeah, do you know how many times we were missing so-and-so? Exactly. It's like, okay, some it's like this like to me, it was like, there's some good luck here. This is new. Okay, take advantage, and they have. We were owed a lot of good luck. That's for damn sure. Yes. Uh, you could check out Paseglia, Mike Paseglia with the Bad Weather Fans podcast. The Knicks are playing well too, by the way. So that's you know, yeah. <laughs> It, it makes it easier that they're playing well because we're also playing well. And I have noticed, and I'm not sure when this is going to change. The, and maybe it's because the Giants and Jets are in a playoff race. Maybe that has something to do with it. The Knicks' recent success has not been met with the normal, ridiculous Nick enthusiasm. You know, it hasn't been met right. with this. We're back. The Knicks are back. You know, anything. And I don't know if it really has anything to do with necessarily the skepticism of the team more than it does, we're just distracted. You know, the Giants, the Jets, the playoff race. But the Knicks are playing really well. They're above 500. And I don't get that same irrational arrogance that we normally get from our friends who are Knicks fans. Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with the Giants and Jets. Maybe that plays a little bit into it. But I think just because of the way the roster is constructed and you've got a team that is... You know, Julius Randle's playing out of his mind. He's playing really good basketball. That's the best we've seen him since the bubble year where he was all NBA second team. But, like, if he's your leader, it, 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 there's a flaw there. And then it's like if the younger guys aren't progressing, it's like, where are you? Um, so I think there's, like, a little bit of confusion there. I mean, if they keep winning games and they're about to beat the Bulls, or they just eventually the I mean, they'll just get all cocky. Come on. Yeah, I mean, you're five and, you know, you've won five straight. And since that, you know, disastrous last loss they had against I think it was the home Sunday or Saturday versus the Mavericks the 12 o'clock game where the garden was just dead it, it, it's it's gonna change and if the Knicks are you know now 15 and 13 and continuing to get better and are putting themselves in a position to be a top six seed you know it, it it'll happen it'll change um and I think I think I think unfortunately tomorrow is going to be one of the first days you start to feel it especially because they're beating a team on a Wednesday tomorrow's Thursday and I promise you, you know, it's kind of like the midweek where there's less football and the Knicks pick the perfect day to go on a five-game winning streak. We're back. I get to hear that the Knicks are back for the 500th time in the last couple of years. It's always exciting. Uh, check out Paseglia Bad Weather fans. Thank you very much for listening to the Evan Roberts podcast.